Welcome to the Connected Insurance Podcast, presented by Agency Revolution. Listen to interviews with the most influential people in the insurance industry. Learn the most important strategies, tactics, trends, and challenges facing today's independent insurance agents and brokers. New episodes every Wednesday. Visit agencyrevolution.com and click media to explore the Connected Insurance family of resources for insurance agents and brokers. Subscribe today and get updates delivered right to your inbox. And now, without further delay, the Connected Insurance Podcast. Hello, it's Michael Jans, co-founder of Agency Revolution, and today, delighted to be delivering to you a terrific podcast conversation with my guest. And I want to welcome you to this episode of the Connected Insurance Podcast presented by Agency Revolution, creators of Fuse, the insurance marketing software that skyrockets retention, boosts policy per customer, and makes your clients love your agency. Without you having to hire more staff, programmers, or technologists, if you haven't done it lately, well, let me say a few words about it. Um, earlier today, I participated in a, pot, in a webinar with Agency Revolution, and on it, I was a panelist, were a couple of other panelists who were uh, clients of Agency Revolution's Fuse product, and to hear them talk about how they were using it to grow their agency, how they were using it to strengthen and deepen their relationships with their customers was really satisfying for me because when um, my co-founder, Lucas, and I started this company over 10 years ago, that was the dream, that the tool would help strengthen the relationship between agencies and their customer base. And to hear it over and over again, it's really quite satisfying. So if you haven't done it lately, visit agencyrevolution.com and request a demo of their award-winning software today. And again, I'm really excited about today's podcast. Ryan Deeds is my guest, and I think it's probably a name a lot of you are uh, familiar with. Ryan has been in the industry for a good long while. Um, so uh, let me frame this really quickly and then just bring you right into the conversation. It, uh, I think if you're a loyal listener, and I hope that you are, then you have some sense of what, I, what I'm all about and the conversation that I want to engage in with my guests. So number one, I, I really try to find the best possible guests in the industry, people that are doing spectacular things and that are um, shaping it and that have um, some ability to look into the industry and see where it's going and present that to you. So uh, clearly, I've uh, uh, come to some conclusions. One, this industry is moving. It is not staying the same. Two, that the speed of change is uh, dialed up fast, not dialed slow. When I got into the industry, you could have said dialed kind of slow, but now dialed fast. And number three is that where it's going is different than where it is. There's no question about that. And so my intent in this series of conversations that I invite you to participate in and listen to and eavesdrop on is to give you uh, the best possible sense of how you can thrive in the future. Now, I realize that sometimes some of the conversations really are about trends and forces, and that's important. In fact, in most cases, there's some conversation about trends and forces. In many cases, some of my guests present their own solutions 
And in some cases, clearly, they also present practical, tactical techniques, tricks, as it were, um, that you can apply very, very quickly. So I, I know that there's a balance, and I hope that's satisfying for you. I want you to be successful. You know, if, if I run into you in a conference, <laughs> it's possible, <laughs> or maybe in the casita, uh, two years from now, I want you to be successful because of things that I've shared with you now. Um, if two years from now you think, oh, it's time for me to be thinking about creating my own future, it might be too late. Now is the time where we create 12 months from now or six months from now or even three months from now. And so clearly some of my guests bring about a broader perspective and, and an understanding, st frankly, stuff that, you know, when I got into the industry, we weren't really talking about major trends and forces. We were dealing with the tactical and the practical. But now I think, um, well, I, I, I do feel really strongly about this. Strategy comes before tactics. And now more than ever, the agency is more responsible for their strategy and um, less, it, less, really less responsible for executing the strategy of the carriers. Okay, we can talk more about that later, but that definitely fits into my model of how one way that this industry is changing. So more falls on your shoulders. It does give you a lot of responsibility, but also gives you a lot of innovation, a lot of opportunity for innovation. So that's it. Today's guest is going to deliver very practical solutions. Um, so if you're driving, you might want to listen to it again. Uh, if you're not, I'm going to encourage you. This one is full of writer downers. This one is full of things to take notes on. Ryan Deeds is the vice president of data at AssureX Global. Um, definitely one of the uh, largest and I believe international um, organizations representing um, some of the uh, larger and most respected in independent insurance agencies. Um, certainly in this country, and I believe in others. Ryan, yeah, so what is that, a vice president of data? Well, you're about to discover, and I, I think uh, I'm kind of quoting Ryan where he says, well, if you want one, you got to build them from the ground up. <laughs> There's not a lot of uh, like job descriptions for if you wanted to have a VP of data in your agency, but I think what you're going to discover, he, he shortcuts it. He, um, he's done years and years of work, and he presents a lot of shortcuts to you. So um, th this is uh, this is one where you're going to want to really pay close attention to what Ryan has to say, because he talks about the things that are, you know, I'm sure close to your heart and very close to my heart, how to grow an independent insurance agency. And he uh, talks about how, um, well, really, we all have access to a, um, a uh, gold mine of data. And he shares insights on how you can dive into that and use that, uh, definitely use that to help scale and to help grow your agency. But we really don't stop there. He's got a lot of other uh, terrific, very practical sol uh, selections or solutions. So here's my prediction. You're going to love this podcast. <laughs> uh, so without really much further ado, uh, it is a privilege to introduce you to this conversation with Ryan Deeds, the Vice President of Data at AssureX Global, and he'll tell you a little more about his background um, as you listen to the conversation. And I'll remind you again, 
If you have ideas on how we can make this podcast more relevant to you, more valuable to you, let me know. And there's two ways you can do that. Number one, you can email me at michael at michaeljans.com. Share your thoughts, share your comments, share your insights, or you can connect with me and message me on LinkedIn. Obviously, Michael Jans, pretty easy to find. And I'll also encourage you to please follow Agency Revolution on LinkedIn. Um, boom, without really without further ado now, great privilege and pleasure to invite you to eavesdrop on my conversation with my friend, Ryan Deeds. Ryan Deeds, thanks so much for joining us. How are you today? I'm doing awesome, man. How are you, Mr. Jans, the, uh, <laughs> the, the legend? I'm honored that you would want to have me on your show today. Uh, yeah, right, right. The, the, the man, the myth, and the legend in his own mind. Um, That's right. so, <laughs> uh, well, let's crank it up here. Uh, you know, so my listeners know me, and a lot of them probably know you by reputation as well, uh, perhaps not as well as I do. So, Ryan, if you would, t- tell us what you do and how you got to do that. Sure. My name is Ryan Deeds. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Just Google, put in Ryan Deeds and you find me. Let's hook up. We can be pals. Um, I have, I'm a data expert. I say that lightly for uh, Assurex Global, which is a conglomerate and a, a group, an association, a collaboration of a multitude of uh, independently run insurance agencies. And I help them with data. In my past, before I was with Assurex, I ran IT um, and data strategy for two different insurance agencies between 10 and 30 million in revenue. Um, I was there for uh, between two of them about 16 years and then moved over to Assurex. Now I get to work with the best and the brightest uh, large independent agencies, working with their data, helping them figure cool stuff out and hoping to provide a little bit of value. Yeah, well, I, I no doubt that you are, and I and and because you and I have had some more in-depth conversations, I know you are. Uh, so, a couple of comments: one, yes, you are dealing with a an organization with a um, a uh, a really um, superior reputation, and two, you've got an unusual job, which I think for me makes this conversation incredibly interesting. Um, it would seem that, uh, well, we just don't have enough people analyzing the data that drives growth and profitability in an independent insurance agency. So I'm super excited about that. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think that that comes from, you know, it's one of the things you and I were talking about earlier. It's, it's oftentimes leaders of an insurance agency of whatever size are the most successful producers that have acquired or built an agency. And, you know, so often, especially in the last, uh, before the last couple of years, IT was kind of in the closet. I was lucky. My agencies brought me into the boardrooms and the executive teams almost immediately. So while I am a data individual, I actually consider myself an operational uh, person for insurance agencies. You know, I can look at certain key elements of data and determine off the bat what's going on with that firm operationally. And I can help firms kind of figure out what they need to do to shore up this, that, or the other, if they have the data, if they have access to it. And then if they don't, how do we strategize on making that happen? How do we get that ready? How do we get out there and, and, and get that stuff good to go so we can leverage it for insight? Uh, would you say, would you agree that the average independent insurance agency um, oh, is, uh, I don't want to say ignorant, but overlooks uh, the a, a lot of the lessons that are... They're, they're hidden. It's like little pieces of gold within data uh, and that great data 
drives great strategy. So two kind of two things for you to bounce off of. I do today think that I, do, I think that there's way more of an awareness today than ever before, though, of the changes that have to come because, uh-huh. you know, we do what we've been taught to do. And so when you have Joe Rockstar producer that is that saw Mike Rockstar producer before him take a, a client out for golf and do drinks and go to the the Predators game or whatever game and have a booth and all that and sold business that way. Well, data wasn't that important. Technology wasn't that important. The relationship was important. So that's how they learned. Now with these new owners, that either the ones that have perpetuated in or that are acquiring and have started their own, I think there's a way larger awareness that, hey, we need to be able to leverage this stuff because the consumer behavior has changed so significantly and the expectations that the consumer has of their partner in that has changed. So uh-huh. yes, I mean, I uh-huh. think absolutely there is there is a... Um, a lack of awareness of the power of the the data that they have, but I definitely feel like everybody's trying to catch up and figure that out. Um, so it, it seems like maybe, uh, I think in your comment, you highlighted one of the problems is that in the, the industry has a, um, a rich legacy of uh, successful people passing their secrets on to the next generation, right? Or the next producer. So, uh, as in your example, the principal perhaps was the best producer ever in that agency, and he did it a certain way in the 90s, okay, and the 2000s. Um, and now uh, he's transferring those that same skill set to the uh, to the new producer, and perhaps missing a lot of opportunities. Absolutely, no, t- yeah. absolutely uh, correct. Okay, so. Uh, so things are changing uh, fairly rapidly in this industry. I think most people would agree with that. Um, in, in your position, what do you think are the trends and forces that are, that are changing uh, most significantly or have the greatest impact on the independent agency system? I mean, I think you have to look at a couple of perspectives. I think one, the, the buying of insurance is much different than it used to be. You know, I think today companies of, of, any real size want to understand what they're getting, why they're getting it, what's it going to do for them. You know, uh, there's a multitude of questions that, that have come out. And I think it's because culturally we just are more data driven than we've ever been before. Anybody who's on Instagram or Facebook, they know how many likes they get on a post. Uh, yeah, they, right. they, okay. They, uh-huh. There's a data awareness around that. And the consumer themselves wants to be able to look at something and say, where do we stack up? Why are we doing what we're doing? I need to justify this to others. People are also more fiscally aware, I think, um, of what's happening with their organization, especially, you know, as we hit these tight times like we're hitting right now. I mean, there yeah. you better be able to justify why you're bringing up what you're bringing up. So, uh, so let's talk about data and how that can um, influence or inform a uh, an agency's strategic direction. Um, let's put some flesh and bones on it. When you talk about data, what specifically are you talking about? What data really drives good decision making? Well, I mean, the 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 most important data element that an insurance agency can have right is estimated revenue. Unfortunately, so actually when I talk about data, what I'm really talking about is culture. Uh, honestly, it sounds kind of cheesy, but it's it's the truth because 
you cannot have good data without a culture that has an awareness of data management and what is important to that firm. Um, and there is operational overhead. So that means that there is staff hours that need to happen to make sure that data is good. But when I, if in my perfect scenario, I walk into an insurance agency that has their estimated revenue and estimated revenue is how much revenue am I going to drive over the term of this policy filled out and relatively accurate to that policy. If you have that number, the sky is the limit. The number of firms that I've seen have that number, though, are are infinitesimal, just so small, out of at two percent, maybe maybe four percent. You know, just very few organizations have taken the time, and if they have, it's because they've recognized they want to do cool things. Like, if I ask an insurance agency, what is their book of business with Cincinnati, and an insurance yeah. agency says, "Well, let me go look." Where are you looking? I'm going to go look at my invoicing. Okay. So you don't have any idea what your book of business with them is today, because if you bound 15 or 20 accounts in the last two months that were direct bill, you don't know that 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 that, <laughs> that, that stuff has come in yet. Right. And, yeah. and as you move upstream, that could be a significant amount of revenue, a book of business for a producer. What's a book of business for a producer look like? If that is a, so I'm going to take all the producers active policies. I'm going to sum those up and that are reoccurring on an annual basis. And that's going to be what I expect to renew for that producer. And that's what I consider his active book of business, right? Mm -hmm. So you take Joe, all his policies, he's a $200,000 producer. Well, Joe, I need you to sell 10%. 20, you can now set your goal with Joe. If you're looking backwards, you're all, it's always lagging. It's never a great thing to use, but agencies always use invoice data because it's easy because it exists because it's there. It doesn't take any operational overhead, but mm-hmm. as they get larger, as they scale more, that number becomes much more critical. How, how do you set up? I mean, when I look at an employee engagement mechanism, I can show an account manager what her book of business is. If my estimated revenue is correct, I can show her where I want it to be. I can give her the mechanisms to cross sell, and then I can reward her for that. Without that metric, I lose all that power, all that ability. I have no culture. I have no, I'm just, she doesn't know what success looks like. She doesn't know if she's doing a good job or not. And the vast majority of account managers have no idea if they're doing a good job or not. So, uh, so Ryan, you've worked with agencies that use uh, data effectively and strategically. And then, you know, we can compare that to to those who don't. What have you seen as, um, actual measurable benefits of the effective use of data in an agency. I mean, it's such a systemic effect because when you think about it, okay, when I came into Crichton, I came in with a five-year plan. It was a five-year strategy that I laid out. I was sitting in front of about uh, seven different guys, right? I was laying out this data strategy that I had. And it was, how do we get estimated revenue correct? Because as soon as we have that number, now we can communicate everything that we need to. So in my opinion, data is a communication mechanism internally because I can provide internal dashboards for my staff to make sure that they know that they're driving in the way that the, that the CEO and the president and the principals and the owners want them to. It, it, it becomes your central uh, ability to row the boat in the same direction. And if somebody's paddling weirdly or off or whatever, you can illustrate that. You can help them understand how they're not going with the flow. And you can then change that behavior 
or you can change that individual if their behavior is not willing to change. So data is not just a one-off. It's not a, hey, yes, you're going to do this and increase sales. No, you're going to put a whole hell of a lot of work in and you're going to see, and if you come at it from a really, really good data strategy, and my data strategy always starts with internal communication. How do we leverage data to get everybody on board, the goals of the organization, show them what their piece of the pie is, and then reward them or incentivize them in other ways to ensure that their behaviors are conducive to that. And, and, and Uh and I mean, that, and so when I think of data, that's, that's what I think about. Okay. Let me, let me ask you a hard question. Okay. Because right now you're functioning as a data expert for a large organization, right? So they've got, they've got a pro uh, who's uh, uh, got uh, like focused on this as um, a, a kind of a core strategic initiative. Now, uh, let's let's um, take a look at like how can an agency that they're they're not a part of your system, uh, they don't have access to the same data, or they they don't have Orion Deeds on their team. What um, well, what do you suggest that they do? What 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 should they do first, and how do they go about that? Without lower their become- distributions, lower their distributions be able to take an EBITDA hit for a couple of years, lower net profit percentages, and fund it. And and that's the truth. There's no easy button here. I've seen consultants be brought (laughs) in. I've seen all kinds of different stuff. But you go get somebody who's willing to learn that's out there that wants an opportunity. You bring them in. You show them the problems. You help train them up. I mean, this I am not me because I woke up one day and was like, hey, I'm me because agencies invested in my success. All I am is a reflection of the CEOs, the producers, and the people that worked with me to educate me on all this stuff. And then obviously my own curiosity with data. So honestly, that is when, when, when my partnerships come up to me and say, Hey, where do we get Orion? I'm like, you got to build it. You know, yes, it's going to take you three or four years, but Uh it's that, that is the right answer that because if you, I, I don't like data consultants because you typically offload the operational learning from that data, from your organization to that data consultant, that data consultant moves on. You are the same as you were before, but you have some product that you don't really know how it got to be. You have some awareness, but you didn't go through the pain. You didn't go through the learning experiences where if you bring that internally, you learn so much more and you're so much more impactful long term. All right. I I got a couple of follow up questions. Uh, um, The first one is um, fantasize for a moment if, if we could deliver a dashboard with like three or four really critical metrics that are driven by that data. What do you think are the most important, you know, whatever, you pick a number, two, three, four things that agency leadership should pay attention to that flows up from data sets? So, I mean, you know, like every question, there's a detailed answer here. But if we're looking at a CEO perspective, retention and growth um, are going to be the the two that I'm probably the most concerned with. You Mm -hmm. know, if I'm and if I'm breaking growth down, then I'm looking at uh, those the key factors. You know, what's my client increase or decrease? What's my exposure increase or decrease? What's my rate increase or decrease? And then what is my. My, uh, pol- my coverage increase or decrease. Those factors can really help educate a, uh, a leader to be able to determine what's going on. Got it. Okay. And then presumably uh, you can break that down into classes of business, 
uh, individual producers and, and determine performance. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, it actually rolls up. I, I don't ever like to see top level dashboards put uh-huh. in. Okay, got it. Right. <laughs> I like uh-huh. to see bottom level dashboards put in and that rolls up over time because if we can get our the most populous of our employees engaged with data and they have a vested interest to get it right, when the, the folks at the top look at it, they have faith in those numbers over time. Okay, got it. So uh, one last question on on this point. Um, if you can, I'll ask you, um, you know, based on what you know from analyzing data in the industry for I don't know how many years now, I, I, I hadn't asked you that. Um, do you think you could draw generalizations, um, general conclusions of value? Yeah, I mean, I can tell. I mean, two numbers, a client count and revenue and average account size. Those two numbers right there. Well, and really, if you tell me average account size, I can tell you your agency. Because, uh, you know, almost almost that number to me tells me more about your organization and your ability to strategize than anything else. You know, if you have a $400 average account size, um, then, you know, you're either a new agency or an agency that is focused on smaller business. You have to staff more. There's a there's a limit of how much you can bring on at one time. You know, your your carrier relations are going to be much different where if you have a $5,000, $8,000 average account size, that means that somebody is there saying, hey, these are the clients that we need to go after. You're training, you're staffed less, you're probably niched out. You know, you have more expertise. Um, you're more profitable in, in the vast majority of the cases. Okay. I've seen. Okay. So I, 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 as you know, I've had a number of guests in this. This is now a, an ongoing conversation of, well, you know, the podcast three and a half years, my conversation with the industry, gosh, I'm probably getting close to 30 on it. Okay. Um, but in the podcast series, uh, a number of, of guests, thought leaders, um, people who look at the kind of look at the trends and forces and make some, um, reasonable forecast about the future. Uh, I think in general, they would come to consensus that it's wise to go to lean up market. Uh, and, and it seems that there are two really fundamental reasons for that. One, given the rapid change in the industry and uh, the increase of uh, digital technologies, the, the down market is more vulnerable, less less of a safe harbor for independent insurance agencies. But then the other argument in favor of leaning up market is that the the margins are higher. I mean, based on your data, does that make sense to you that the Well, I mean, the, I think it's a very simple it's very simple. What yeah. value do you provide a core personal line? And I look for this argument, I oftentimes look at core personal lines versus high net worth. Okay. So okay, if I'm looking it. at core personal lines where I've got a house and a car, the, the value to that consumer is probably speed and convenience. You're not going to beat Geico. You're not going to beat Progressive. You're sure you're not going to beat the lemonades of the world that are coming out. That's not where your value proposition is going to be able to win out. You don't have the money to invest in the technology. You don't have the speed of adoption and you don't have the innovation. So if you have those clients today, it's because they, they, there's an unawareness of, of the other options that are out there. Where high net worth, high net worth, if I'm an agency that's focused on that, I can have concierge service. I can work with wealth offices. I can provide 
uh, special things to high net worth folks that we might not be able to do to core at a profitable level. So high net worth is a much better uh, segment to go after, which is upstream. My value proposition to that class of client is significantly increased. And as I look across the board in an insurance agency, that's the question. What value do you provide that client and why do they stay with you? Because if it's convenience and speed, how are you going to keep up? Right on. Okay. Um, I guess I do have one last question on, 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 uh, on data. <laughs> um, sure. uh, well, the good use of data does seem to have a positive influence on the success rate of new producers. Oh, it does. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, I think what we've seen is a capabilities adjustment um, with insurance agencies. You know, if you had Crichton when I was there going up against USI and we sent our best producers out, maybe my producer's a 30-year guy and he knows petroleum like crazy. He knows all the stuff about petroleum. Well, uh, this dude, he comes in, he sits down, he talks to the guys, he knows all the stuff. They have a couple questions, you know, they, they leave feeling good. USI comes in, USI brings in some kind of report that breaks down that industry. It shows here's where your uh, company of your size with your demographic information in it. Here's what the losses are typically. Here's what the claims are. Here's what your coverages generally are with your peer group. Here's all these different elements about that. Um, that producer that can quantify those things, that could be a, a producer that's brand freaking new that knows how to pitch that data effectively because yeah, he was right. a used car salesman beforehand and he can make a compelling argument looking like an expert very effectively. And that's what I'm seeing. That's how I'm seeing that kind of data be weaponized from those larger organizations. And so their success rate is significantly higher for producers than it is for the average independent insurance agency. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you, you truly increase, I think for us, I, you know, I think we have 33 ish percent um, success ratio right, on a, a per, uh-huh. that walks in the door and they validate in 18 months. That's what I would consider a successful producer, right? Yeah. Um, validating obviously is their, their commissions are commiserate with their salary. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you have these other tools, then you have a lot more to lean on to, to make that happen. And it and yeah, you see you see a lot quicker success and it's a different type of success because you're not probably paying that guy 40 points on it. You know, you're probably paying that guy um, 30 or 25 points on it because he the, the help that that individual needed to be able to generate that information. Ah, okay. So in the in this model, some of the traditional functions of the producer, which is to <laughs> soup to nuts, right? I mean, right. Get, That's right. Get, get get the prospect, set the appointment, uh, you know, make the sale, right? Uh, so some of those functions are centralized because, well, they can be, they should be, like obviously, like uh, like like data analysis and data generation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, there'd be a system that they go and plug some information into and spit out the information about that thing. Right. And, and say, and, here and you so, go. So you're seeing agencies, I'll use a kind of a euphemism, um, make commission adjustments uh, to, um, well, to, to, to make a fair compensation for that. Right. So both sides get fairly compensated. Well, I mean, I think that commission percentages from a, from a producer um, compensation perspective are typically used for attraction of a producer. What I, and so, you know, if you have, okay, got it. Yeah. Because you're, because you're competing for talent. 
That's correct. And so, yeah. but if I can take somebody who is, doesn't have to have all of those components and bring that individual in and say, you're going to close one out of every four leads that we generate or that you generate in this industry, because you're going to use these tools. And that's what our data tells us in a year and a half, you're going to be to this place and we're going to pay you 20 points on that. That person's going to be, uh, it's just a very different look. But like you said, operationally, those organizations can do that. And so, in some cases, those producers in those really big shops aren't commissioned. They're bonused and salaried, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And mm -hmm. so, but, but yes, I think that today, if your agency has a Milliman and has, you know, these 50 billion other tools that are out there that is helping a producer sell business and you're still you, paying that producer exactly what you paid that producer, you know, 10 years ago, there, there would have to be some kind of logical uh, conversation because you are picking up much more operationally than you did before. When agencies bring in AEs, typically there is a reduction in producer commission because the offloading of the work that the AE is doing for the producer. When you get afraid to adjust commissions on, a, on producers, it means that you don't have enough to offer that producer to make them successful. Got it. All right. And the AE is an account executive who handles certain functions um, on that account. That's correct. High level, higher level functions generally than account managers. They would be some relationship. They'd have type. I mean, there's two main things that, uh, yeah. that you see that for, right? You have the, it to institutionalize the business in case the producer decides to go elsewhere. Now we have deeper ties to, the or to that organization. Yeah, and, then, uh -huh. and then to offload renewal process from the producer as much as possible. Okay, which, which um, suggests another question that I think, um, well, I can't ignore. Uh, so we've talked about um, the, the problems and difficulties of um, small accounts. And, and one, perhaps we didn't touch on, is that if a producer's book is filled with small accounts, they top out fairly quickly. They can't scale. Can't do it. That's right. Yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, I think that, you know, my perfect producer is somebody who comes in, learns a couple of industries, understands the problems of those industries, can then articulate the, the, how the insurance product helps with those problems, goes out to the market and, and acquires clients, brings those in. As they do that, their confidence gets better, their network gets better. I mean, it's not a short yeah. sales cycle. This is by no means am I like, oh yeah, you go out and you get a $50,000 account. I understand that's typically <laughs> right. a two to three year sales process. I mean, ultimately they have to fire somebody else and because they, they think that you're a better fit and you got to prove that over time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that the, the producer that has a, a book split of, Hey, I've got a bunch of five to 10,000 revenue accounts and I have a, a couple 20, you know, 50 to a hundred. And I have a pretty fair size of 20 to 50. If they got rid of those five to 10, they traded that down. They got rid of it. They opened up their, their bandwidth so that they could go get more of that 20 to 50 business. That's where they're going to see a lot more growth. I mean, You'll see my, grow. okay. yeah. Yeah, my, my big producers don't, and generally they don't care because it pushes so little revenue. And if an agency is paying producers on those little accounts operationally, I think you're having, again, that's a compensation model to shore up a lack of capabilities to give producers to be successful. That's what that is. Got it. Okay, got it. Uh, so um, strategically, uh, leadership needs to, uh, to, to create an agency that delivers value, not just find carriers and hire producers. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, I think you have to... Perspective, okay. Yeah, you have yeah. to be able to articulate to that producer, 
Look, I mean, and the way that it happens in the vast majority of the shops is, hey, here's a guy that we like. He has a good presence. He knows insurance a little bit. He's going to be a producer. Okay. He comes and sits down. There you go. 18 months later, you didn't validate. You're out the door or you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe two years. Right, right. And that's about okay. what it is. You know, so yeah. the guys that are successful are very good at learning on their feet. The company that has a good onboarding uh, mechanism, that has a good training mechanism, that can articulate the value to that producer of why you want to work with us. That's not vacation days and golf and uh, compensation. That is how am I going to make you successful in this? Here's the tools that we ha have and here's how you leverage them to close deals. That is a compelling offering to a salesperson that knows that they can sell. And so, that is worth a lower commission percentage. Yeah. Okay. So, it, I mean, clearly it seems, you know, a, a, one of my mentors used to say the most dangerous business, uh, the, the most dangerous number in business is one, right? One, right. you know, because, because if something happens to that one, right. 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 Um, and, and so uh, the agency that is smaller, um, you know, they, they have some disadvantages in this, in, in, in that, um, you know, they, 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 they don't probably have the data analysis department. They don't have the producer development department, right? They're, they're working with a much smaller number of producers. There's a, there has to be a transition that takes some time. Well, I mean, I, 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 have, I have no doubt about it. I mean, yeah. I think anybody who's listening to this right now, though, that has an agency probably has some awareness of are, are, am I a general agent? Do I want to be a general agent or am I more, do I have some kind of expertise within my organization? Cause I do think that niching is the way that small agencies can compete effectively with larger organizations. Cause a small agency could, could hire three or four expert producers, uh -huh. yeah. expert account managers about aircraft. Just take it for as an advantage, mm -hmm. uh, take it as an example. Uh -huh. okay. uh, and they bring those in and they say, okay, we're going to start this aircraft niche. You know, the problem that agencies get caught up in is what is a niche? How is it defined? It's not volume. It's relationships with carriers. It's expertise about the, the that industry. It's programs with the carriers. And so, but the first step is, do you want to go that direction or do you want to remain a general agent? If you want to remain a general agent, you're probably doing it fine. If you want to truly compete out there with the big boys in your small you got to figure out what you can be great at and focus on that and drive forward towards that, invest in that, and it'll pay off in spades in the long term. Okay. So, well, so let's make a little uh, transition in our conversation here. So far, we've been talking largely about, um, you know, the, the category I would call strategy. All right. So, and, and, and you're suggesting that within this model of everything we've talked about, um, niching has also has marketing advantages as well. Right? Oh my God. So much. Yeah. I mean, just well, ridiculously. Well, so, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so uh, uh, talk to us a little bit about what have you seen and what do you see in terms of the marketing advantages that niching has? Well, first let's talk about something operational. One, one of the things that I think agencies need to invest in is getting accurate NAICS classifications. It is something that, because without NAICS classifications, you have a hard time telling where your volume is. Uh -huh. one, so that is just a strategic, you know, tactical thing that anybody could walk in today and say, I want to see our client list and I want to see what kind of NCI NAICS population we have. They get their list, they look at it, it's not populated, put somebody on it. 
go go get that done knock it out spend a month do whatever you need to do yeah okay. um, and get those classifications now you have that classification at that point in time you can really start to analyze where your volume is so you can create marketing because maybe maybe you have a really big jewel you know a jeweler niche sure well okay. to to increase that jeweler niche you could then easily start having uh somebody i use a platform called upwork write a couple articles about jewelry jewelers the problems that they <laughs> right, have yeah. uh -huh. you could arm your producers with you could you could then put a blast email out to all the jewelers across the country say hey we're we're a top jeweler jeweler freaking coverage agency we know your business here's why we know it and now you have inbound leads coming in right you have yeah. you have things that that were not generated by a producer more profitable business, easier commission to, to deal with, and your close percentage can get better as you learn how to resonate with those clients. So, I mean, without that key data right there, I think it's really hard. You could always wake up and say, you know what, tomorrow I want to go after um, folks with RVs. I, I don't know that that's a good niche, but you could go after that mm -hmm. and you could do the same thing, right? Throw an RV webpage up that takes some form data, go get a list of everybody in America that has an RV, say, hey, we're a great, we know your problems with RVs. Um, but I like to come from the book itself because we probably have an account manager and a producer that knows that business pretty well. And already we can start feed. That's yeah. right. That always had, that already has that. Got it. Okay. Uh, so, uh, well, uh, Ryan, to some extent, um, you're talking about something near and dear to my heart, content marketing. Um, do, do you see uh, in the agencies, uh, in the agency world, um, um, you, do you see many efforts or initiatives uh, in that area, content marketing, like to, wh wh whether it's for, you know, um, lead gen, lead attraction or, you know, further down the road? Um, With the much bigger shops you do. I mean, okay. so it's weird because the middle of the ground, I don't yeah. see a lot. I see with new with newer agencies that are coming out. Yes, I see that that being something that they are, are trying to bank on with mm -hmm. agencies that have large uh, management groups, large operational teams. Yes. I see that's something that they're trying to bank on. They're with getting folks it. Okay. That, that, uh -huh. They're trying to, right. They're iterating yeah. through to get better at it. Um, with that smaller segment in the middle, you know, from, I don't know, 2 million in revenue till 25, 30, I don't see that very much because they just don't have the time, the energy, or the expertise to be able to do it, and it is a daunting task. It's a skill set, right? It's uh, and and uh, you know the success of it, the results you get from it are uh, you know generally um, you know they're they're roughly equivalent to how skillful you are, not only in the development of the content, but of course understanding the marketing aspect of it, the technologies that you use, and you know the. The, the 57 things that marketers have to think about, but that, uh, it, it does warm my heart. I, I do see more examples of it, but unfortunately I, I tend to see those examples with my own private client group. And, and uh, I, I, I'm hopeful uh, that agencies will use that more and more for growth. I know that um, you're a, um, you're an advocate of the net promoter score system. I am. I mean, because we have so little data to be able to help us figure out why we do or don't retain accounts. I mean, uh -huh. you know, and, and so I like it because it gives me an external data marker to help determine. So say that I saw a trend in an organization that was using net promoter score that once net promoter score went to 50, 38% of the time we would lose that client in the next year. 
Yeah. Well, okay. uh-huh. now I know operationally is I can set a threshold on NPS to be able to say, hey, if we get this feedback, we need to do these four action items to make sure that occurs, you know, in yeah. absence of that, you just have, you have, you have so little information on what caused that client to leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and generally relatively little information about your overall relationship with your own book of business. So a, a lot of, a lot of it, this is kind of on um, uh, how do we do before and a hope and a prayer. That, exactly correct. I mean, yes. And like we hear all the time, right? Uh, yeah. A producer that loses an account comes back and says, well, man, we gave them all the tools and those tools are really valuable. <laughs> yeah. Well, then then you do like an autopsy and review and you call the client up and you try to figure out, hey, what was the deal? You know, what? how could we have done better? We want to make sure our business is still available to you down the road if you run into problems. You know, and they say, well, they offered us this tool. Well, hell, we offered that that tool but you never showed us how to use it. We actually never drove value out of that tool. And I've seen that happen a multitude of times when we thought we gave a client something that they were driving value from, we were safe in the relationship and comes up and that just wasn't the case. And so I I think that Net Promoter Score absolutely provides an outlet for them to be able to um, help understand kind of where they are that's outside of all of that. Got it. All right. Uh, Ryan, I, I can't end this conversation without talking a, a little bit about your perspective on technologies, emerging technologies, the role of technology in agencies, um, cool technologies that you see agencies using to help them grow. Um, so, yeah, if you would talk to us for a minute about your current observations about uh, technology. So first and foremost, I would say just stop buying things. Stop buying technology. Yeah, I mean that, and it sounds it's a it's a weird response to your question. Yeah. But uh, you know there are absolutely badass companies that are out there, um, and I'll talk about those in a minute. But most agencies do not implement technology effectively. They they blame the technology for a lack of implementation. They churn it to go to the next new thing. And just stop, stop, you know, look at yourself, figure out why that didn't work. Somebody made it work somewhere. What did you fall down on? And CRM is typically the one that I illustrate the most. You know, I've seen more CRMs churn through agencies than anything else with limited impact because Mm -hmm. they didn't have a a good implementation and a good return on uh, return to the producers for that. So don't get caught up in all the cool stuff that's happening out there. You have a bunch of cool stuff in your agency already. Take a look at that. Get that stuff to be leveraged 75, 80% and you'll have a better life. Now, if you're at 80% and all your technology is leveraged effectively, and if you feel that way, call me because I, I want to talk through that because I, I, I don't see <laughs> It doesn't that. happen off. All right. So, right, right. Yeah. So, but of, of the cool technologies that are out there, I consider them cool if they are easy to implement have a large impact um, and kind of a hands-off thing. And like WeatherCheck is one that I'm hot on right now. They're a proactive weather monitoring service that that you just load your client list into them and they start pinging your clients. Like if a hailstorm's coming, they'll hit your client on the cell phone and say, hey, a hailstorm's coming. You might want to pull your car into your garage, you know. Yeah, right. You, okay. you might want to do this uh-huh. or that or the other. That's mm-hmm. a tangible benefit. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I like uh, data augmenters like a Hazard Hub or a Terrain Labs. Um, I like Glovebox. They're a company that has an app, you know, that that allows you to have an app for your clients. Um, I obviously like a lot of the form technologies like an Indio or a Broker Buddha. Um, 
But I, I think again, it's to me, I don't really, I, I care way more about your ability to use the wrench than how shiny your wrench is. Got it. All right. So, so it sounds like one, the, cause a, a, a common question I often ask and engage in is, um, how should agencies buy technology? Because most agencies don't have a buying process for technology. And I, I know that because I used to be on the selling side. And while we had a terrific sales process, we discovered that they didn't have a terrific buying process. But there is clearly there is uh, a, uh, a second stage um, to the technology, which is, OK, now that I bought it, now what? Right. Exactly. And that's where it always drops. Yeah. There needs to be some uh, mastery track before you buy it, before you buy technology, you better ask and have clarity about what the implementation plan is and how they're going to help your organization leverage that. Damn right. Because Uh that, that is the most important thing. When you want to go buy something, go sit down at your account manager's desk and say, Hey, I want to buy something that's going to affect your job. Here's what we think it does and see if you, if, if that person is like, yes, that would actually help me. And then, you know, what's the rollout plan, the adoption plan, the implementation plan? Because I've seen too much damn technology be purchased, put in the closet, and then it's blame blame the product because it didn't drive the value that we thought. But we didn't really invest in a strategic implementation or adoption strategy. Yeah, right, right. We never swung the hammer, so the nails are still sitting there. That's right. Um, All right. So, uh, Ryan, one last question. Uh, If, if, uh, you know, if, if... if you had the opportunity to kind of jump on my soapbox and, you know, just take a, a, a give a deliver a short message, right? A non-commercial message to to the industry, like pay attention to this. What do you want them to pay attention to? If you're an agency and if you're not, if you don't have any ICS and if you don't have estimated revenue, you're screwing up. You just will not be as good as you can be. Those two data elements, any ICS on your clients and estimated revenue on your policies will change your entire deal. Got it. And and when you say estimated revenue on the policies, define that for us. So that is that is how much do I believe, how much money is this policy going to bring into my organization? In customer lifetime? Nope, over the policy anyway. term. Over okay, the policy term. Mm-hmm. So I, and when I analyze an agency's book of business, my best case scenario is I can look at all enforced policies. I can then look at one bucket that has the estimated revenue of those policies, mm-hmm. to regardless of where they are in the policy term. And mm-hmm. I can say, bam, you are a 3 million revenue shop. And I can have faith in that number. Now, obviously, a lot of organizations do not have that and they have to rely on invoice numbers. Got it. All right. Uh, Ryan, uh, I know you're a busy person, but uh, if if somebody had a question or uh, a particular need to reach out to you, how how would you suggest they do that? Hit me up on LinkedIn. That's that's, I'm there all the time. You know, we're actually. (laughs) Yeah, I've seen. Okay. Yeah. That's that's where I live. All right. Um, So, yeah, just like I tell I tell my listeners, let's be pals. Connect with me on LinkedIn. I also suggest, and, and I, I, you know, I, I have great respect for Ryan. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Connect with Ryan on LinkedIn. Yeah, do it. I'm actually doing a pretty cool series with my kid right now called Talks with Tori. And uh, just getting, her, <laughs> getting her input on a bunch of different stuff from the adult perspective. And it's been pretty well received. So that's kind of been fun for me. All right. Terrific. Uh, well, Ryan, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, I have pages of notes. And I think unless they're driving... Our listeners do as well. 
Well, good, man. I appreciate you having me on, brother. And it's just always a pleasure. You bet. Thank you for listening to the Connected Insurance Podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share it with your peers and colleagues. Explore the Connected Insurance family of resources for insurance agents and brokers by visiting agencyrevolution.com and clicking media. Subscribe and get updates delivered right to your inbox. New episodes every Wednesday.